Please turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Book of Acts, chapter 13. I will read the first three verses. Please listen the word of God reverently and joyfully. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the holy word of our Lord. Please join with me in prayer. Our great and mighty God, whom we have the privilege to call our Father, blessed be your name, that you are not silent toward us. We praise you that you are truth and life, and that you gave your infallible word to us. Lord, now we ask for your spirit to descend upon us, that he will guide us into your truth. Please comfort us, teach us, rebuke us, and guide you in your truth. We ask this all in our dear Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, I'm Peter Sabo. As I was introduced, I'm a Presbyterian minister in Hungary, in the beautiful city of Budapest. And uh, whenever I am preaching, I like to think that I am standing between two churches. There's a church in front of me. And now I have the privilege to bring God's word to you. But there is a church beside of me, behind of me. The church uh, home in Budapest, who, is, who are praying for you, brothers and sisters, and for me as well. Uh, you might know them, but they are your brothers and sisters through Christ. And now I bring the warmest greetings from Budapest, from your brothers and sisters. Thank you for, for your love and care and for the opportunity but now I can bring God's words to you. If you looked uh, into your bulletin, you might have noticed that uh, the sermon's title is a bit strange. We might even call it a bit weird. Paul the Presbyterian. How is that true? Was not the term Presbyterian used first in 1606? How can Paul be called as a Presbyterian? And if so, was he an American Presbyterian? An Orthodox Presbyterian? And also is he a Reformed Presbyterian? What's that about? And dear brothers, I did not come to discuss the intricacies of Presbyterian church polity. I did come here to give you the gospel. Because it is my firm conviction that at its heart, 
Presbyterianism means that you love Christ and you love his church. So my message will be very simple uh, in this morning. This text teaches us that because he first loved us, we as Presbyterian should love Christ and should love his church. Now, in our text, we find three major characteristics of being a Presbyterian, and again, these will be very, very simple truth. Being Presbyterian means to have diverse gifts in the church, and we need to use these gifts. Being Presbyterian also means to have a serving heart and to minister to those around us in the church and outside of the church. And being Presbyterian also means to be humble and submit to, other, to our leaders and also brothers and sisters in the Lord. So this will be my three main points, and let's get to our text. Our text introduces uh, us the church at Antioch. And we, we read in the first verse that now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and Luke gives us a record of five names. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And the first thing we need to notice in this verse that we find that the theologians call the plurality of elders. In the church at Antioch, there were at least five leaders. And this confirms the biblical principle that Christ governs his church, both at the local level, at the regional level, or at the national level. Christ governed his church through multiple elders. As we read in Ephesians 4, uh, 11, that Christ gave shepherds and teachers to his church. We read uh, uh, in the epistle to the Philippians that there are overseers in the church. When Paul called together uh, the leaders uh, of the church of Ephesus, again, Acts 20 tells us that uh, in plural, that's the biblical principle. Leaders, elders, are always in plural. However, we not only find the plurality of elders in this text, but also the diversity of elders as well. Please look at the names, and you will find quite different origins and backgrounds uh, of the elders at Antioch. Barnabas is first introduced to us, and he is a well-known name. Uh, back in chapter 4, uh, at the end of chapter 4, we read about Barnabas that he was a Levite from Cyprus who was called, that's his original name, Joseph, but who has served the church well, both in Jerusalem and then later in Antioch, and he was given the name Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. He was a man of encouragement. He was blessed with the gift of encouragement. He was the one who took Paul and introduced him to the apostles back then when 
many people were afraid of Paul because of uh, his background. He was an encourager par excellence. Then we have Simeon, who was called Niger, which is the Latin term for dark-skinned. Simeon was probably from Africa, such as Lucius, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene was a city in North Africa, in the present Libya. They were coming both from great distance and became elders, leaders, teachers in the church at Antioch. Then we read about maybe the most fascinating people, Manan, who was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Other translations say that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. But uh, however we translate it, the meaning is that he was brought up in royal circle. He, He was a close friend to the ruler who killed John the Baptist and to condemn Jesus as well. God chose one and had him, uh, uh, held him for his wrath and chose the other and gave eternal life to him. And he became the teacher of the gospel Herod persecuted. And then we see Paul, or Saul, who was a Jew from Tarsus, who was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, a most learned man was Paul, once the enemy of Christ, but now the preacher of the gospel. And my point uh, in all of this, uh, dear brothers, is that the leaders at Antioch were not homogeneous men, but from diverse backgrounds of different characters and with various gifts. No single elder possesses all the gifts that are necessary for the life of the church. Instead, Christ dispersed these gifts among multiple leaders who together, as the session, as the presbytery, as the assembly, equip the saints for the building of the body of Christ. And these diverse gifts remind us that not only the elders, but every Christian, every member received gifts from the Spirit. God calls different people to his church to every local church. God gives various gifts to each of them. Some might have the gift of encouragement, like Barnabas. Others, the gift of boldness, like Saul. But whatever gift we received, we are to use for the building up the whole body. And this also teaches us that we need to handle diversity in the church there will be and should be always diverse people in the church. We are not similar uh, to each, uh, each other. For that end, you need to have to entertain that thought and be lovingly, be graciously to others that are so different uh, from you. And uh, I, I would like you to picture these gifts as different fruits. Now it's wonderful springtime. Uh, we see the blooming trees and bushes, and, and it tells us that soon is summer coming. And the best part of the summer might be the fruits. We will have soon strawberries and cherries and peaches and apples and pears 
and blueberries, and, and you can name your uh, favorite fruit. And, and, and think of the church as a basket full of different kind of fruits. I'm sure you will love that. But you know, there is one thing that's better than a basket of, uh, full of fruits. The orchard, where it comes from. And picture this orchard with blooming and then fruit-giving trees. Picture the bushes uh, uh, which are full of, of blueberries or, or blackberries. Picture the trees full of cherries and, and peaches. It's, it's a wonderful sight, isn't it? But you need to see this in the life of the church. We are a basket full of diverse fruits, but we have a source where these fruits come from. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the orchard. He is the one who gives us these gifts. All uh, perfection is found in the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. All diverse gifts that we found in the church have their source in the perfect in the all-sufficient person of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is unique. He is unique. We may be diverse, but he is unique. He has all the gifts. Colossians says that in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. In him, you will find everything, every good thing. In the church, there will be no perfect leader. There will be no perfect church on this earth. But we have a perfect head of the church. Our Lord Jesus Christ. In him there is encouragement. In him there is love. In him there is affection. In him there is sympathy. In him there is faithfulness. In him there is boldness. In him there is truthfulness. In him there is everything. He and only he can fulfill your heart's longings. He is not lacking in anything. That's my dear brothers. Let this text remind us that every gift we enjoy in the church reminds us the great fountain of blessing from where all these flows. Let Christ and not man be our only source of comfort. Presbyterianism, a Presbyterian is somebody who acknowledges this beauty and all-sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. A Presbyterian is somebody who is captivated by the wonder and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Presbyterian is, Presbyterian is somebody who loves Christ and his church dearly. But let's go to our second point and our second verse. The first verse identified Antioch's leaders. The second verse tells us what they do. And we read that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. While they were worshiping. That's a, that's a special term uh, in the original. It's a term where our word liturgy comes from. It was used among the Jews. This is the term uh, 
how they translated the priestly ministry in the temple, but this term was used only also in the Greek and Roman world. It meant to perform a public service. Now, interestingly, in the ancient world, world, it was often the responsibility of the public officials to assume the costs that such service involved. The high priest in the Roman world paid for the sacrifices. Governors elected buildings or libraries or organized games at uh, their own costs. Public service at that time was sacrificial indeed. And so we find here that the leaders, the teachers of the church, they were worshiping, they were performing a public service. I think the most straightforward meaning of this term here in our text is that these teachers, these leaders, use their own gifts for the building of the church. What were their gifts? The, the gifts of teaching. So likely, this term refers to a public service, to a public worship service setting. What this text tells us, that it was their custom while they were worshiping. It was their custom to worship, to preach and teach the flock of Christ. But Luke adds another word. He says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And fasting. You know, fasting is not about just not eating or drinking. But fasting was always connected to prayer in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. We can say that fasting is a strengthened form of prayer. When we do not take food and do not drink to express our dependence uh, on God and beseech him more powerfully. The teachers fasted, not uh, not just prior big decisions, like when they sent out Barnabas and Saul, but that was their custom, to worship the Lord, to teach, and to fast, to pray. Prayer was a backbone of their ministry. And if you read Acts, you will see that Acts puts a great emphasis on prayer. The apostles saw their main task in prayer and the ministry of the word. Acts 6.4. The disciples and the apostles, when they were released from prison, the first thing they did was to gather and pray for boldness to proclaim the gospel. After his meeting with the risen Christ, Saul fasted for three days and prayed. Acts 9.9 and 11. Prayer is an essential element of how we serve the church. We may have the gifts, but the dependence on God through prayer is what gives power to our words and deeds. So we see the leaders who teach the saints to the knowledge of Christ, but we also see that their ministry is not confined only in the public But there is a ministry behind the closed doors when they pray for the people, when they fast for God's people, when they bring the elect before the throne of grace 
so that they can say no to the temptations of the devil, that they can faithfully cling to Christ, that they can abound in love and holiness. The leaders do not work for their own gain and fame. They want to serve the flock. That is their calling, both publicly and secretly. They need to minister. They need to have a serving heart. It is not accidental that the Holy Spirit talks to them when they are doing their duties. We can take it as the Holy Spirit blesses these people, talks to these people, expresses his will to these people when they do their ordinary duties, when they use their gifts in the church. And it tells us that when we look for guidance, shall we not just most of the time do our ordinary duties? Come to church, listen to the sermons, pray with peoples, with other Christians, then minister or do our ministry in the church and do our ministry to our neighbors. God uses ordinary means to lead us. That, that's a wonderful example in this, in this chapter. But what we see here, this selfless ministry on part of the elders. And you know that this selfless ministry of the elders at Antioch mirrors the ultimate ministry of Jesus Christ. Because he is portrayed as the servant, as the one who ministers to God's people. He is the one who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Philippi uh, 2.7 He served us at the cost of his own life. He is the one who prays for us. Romans 8.34 He is the one who sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He ministers to us day by day and night by night through his word and spirit. Every sermon that builds up, every counsel you receive, every call by your fellow Christian flow us from the Lord Jesus' heavenly ministry. So whenever you enjoy the gifts of the Spirit in the church, be remembered that this is the Lord Jesus who is ministering toward you. And I think this might pause a little bit and ask, why are we in the church? Why are you here? To cure your loneliness, to be entertained, to get some useful contacts who can solve your life's problems, to get some ethical instructions for, for your children, to be served. Why are we in the church? And no, no, and no. The church is about our dear Lord Jesus, who redeemed us through his blood, who gathered us together, who laid down his life for the church so that we can live and appreciate his ministry toward us, but also live and serve others with the gifts he gave us. So to be Presbyterian means that we love this serving Jesus, and we love his ultimate ministry toward us, that he gave his own life so that we can live, that he took the wrath of God for the sin and the curse of sin, and bore this so that we will not be condemned. 
we hinge upon this ministry of the Lord Jesus. And my, my, my dear brother and friend, if you are a Christian, you know this. If you are not, you should know this. That there is a Lord Jesus Christ in the heaven who is ministering toward you, who calls you to come to him, to bow down before him, before him and ask for his forgiveness, for his blood that will, that will cure your sins and give you a new life. So being Presbyterian means to enjoy this ministry of the Lord Jesus and also to be enabled to minister to others. And now we have a third verse and a third point. There is a third aspect of biblical Presbyterianism, the willingness to submit to each other. Look at our text. I will, I will read the second half of verse 2. Um, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting, again, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And you know what's interesting in this verse is that we know when Paul was called to the ministry to the Gentiles. When did that happen? It happened right after his conversion. If you look at Acts 26, verse 18, you will see that Paul received his call to be a missionary to the Gentiles right after his conversion. And Bible scholars tell us that uh, about 15 years passed after his conversion till he was sent out by the church at Antioch. Paul had an inspired call for the Gentile mission. Yet Paul did not embark on this mission alone. Paul waited till God convinced, till God the Spirit convinced his fellow elders to send him and Barnabas out to the mission field. He submitted himself to the decision of his fellow elders. And I think by this the Holy Spirit tells us that no Christian, not even the Apostle Paul, can work independently of the church. If God calls us to ministry, then he will persuade the church leaders to recognize this calling. The Bible doesn't approve self-appointed preachers and missionaries. He wants every one of us, even leaders in the church, to submit to biblical government of the church. And jointly, we need to submit ourselves to the word of the Spirit, because that's what we see in this text. The Spirit calls, and the church responds. The Spirit leads, and the church follows. The Spirit commands, and the church obeys. And by this time, you might know the rhythm of my sermon. The obedience we see in the church points us to the perfect obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the model for the perfect submission. In Hebrews 5, 8, we read that he learned obedience through what he suffered. He was obedient. And uh, in Philippians 2, 8, we, we read that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ was obedient, but for him it was not a sign of weakness. 
but it was the sign of power and love. He loved us so much that he was obedient to the point that he gave his life for us. Thus a Presbyterian is somebody who is conquered by the love of this obedient Jesus Christ, who is therefore willing to submit to his leaders and his fellow Christian brothers. So being Presbyterian means that first and foremost, you love this excellent, wonderful, beautiful Christ. And because you love him, you will love his church. You will be in his church and you will serve this church with your gifts and talents and time and money and energy. And the question I would like to ask today is, will you do that? Are you willing to do that? Are there areas where you can use your time more efficiently? Where you can use your gifts even uh, bountifully? Please give this a consideration. But first and foremost, let this picture of Jesus Christ be portrayed uh, before your eyes. That he is this all-sufficient, he is this ministering and obedient Savior, the only Savior we have and the only Savior we need. In him we find life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your ministry toward us that you came down from the highest of heavens, that you became a man to serve to us. Our hearts are full of gratitude and, and love toward us, toward you, and we, we praise your name. And we ask that you give us your spirit to be enabled to serve just as you served, to be obedient just as you were obedient, and please help this church particularly, the Covenant Church, to be a wonderful place where your little flock will use their gifts and build up this body and will reach out to people so that your kingdom will extend and your name will be praised. In your name, we pray and we ask for your blessing. Amen.